Welcome, everybody, as we launch into the teaching for Hope in a Hostile World, what patient endurance looks like. We're going to be studying the books of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7. Dreams are taking place in both of these books. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, it's King Nebuchadnezzar that's having the dreams. In Daniel chapter 7, it's Daniel who's having dreams. We're going to unpackage a little further what Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming about in chapter 2. But right now, we're going to focus on the dreams that go on in Daniel's mind that the angel explains to him. He sees beasts. He sees four distinct beasts. One of them is like a lion. One is like a bear. One is like a jaguar. And one is a great beast. And here's what's interesting. They're all equated to earthly kingdoms. That earthly kingdoms, when they operate outside of humbling themselves before God, are going to operate in a beastly fashion. Well, something interesting about a lion, a bear, a jaguar, they have some similar characteristics, but they all have some unique, well, beastly characteristics. The lion, when it roars, it can be heard up to five miles away. It can run 50 miles an hour. Uh, when it hunts, it can hunt as a solitary individual, or it often will hunt in packs. It will hunt in night. It will hunt in daytime. And it will eat a couple of times a week, but it is a carnivore, and it's going to average eating 11 pounds of meat a day. Wow. Uh, that's quite, quite, quite the diet. When it sleeps, it'll sleep 16 to 20 hours in a day. Now, contrast that to the bear, where the bear is going to eat like 20,000 calories of food in a given day. It will eat all kinds of things. It's omnivorous, so it's eating plants, and it's eating fish, and it's eating all kinds of things. Well, and it's incredibly territorial, which is something that they share in common. And a bear can run 35 miles. So those are some of the bear's unique characteristics. Now, a jaguar is the third beast that's described. And the jaguar, well, it is a very solitary individual. It is going to stalk and ambush its prey. It is only going to hunt at night. It is on the top of the food chain. There's 87 different kinds of species of animals that, it, that, that fall underneath it, that it kind of keeps in line and in sync. So interesting, every one of these beasts that is described in Daniel chapter 7 has a unique way of operating. So here's what we learned, friends. We learned that when earthly kingdoms get beastly, they all kind of get beastly in some similar ways, but also in unique ways. That the Syrian Empire gets beastly in a unique way, and the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire, and so on, and so on. Thus, we can take political postures of the day, socialism, communism, capitalism, and when each kind of go their own way without a godly endeavor, they will be beast-like, uh, let alone dictators, monarchies, republics, they can all go beastly in a distinct way. Well, when God is in control and there is this melding together, you can see that when God winds up being the, the king of kings who comes as one who is the son of man, you can see aspects of, well, it is a monarchy because God is the king. It is a dictatorship because God's the only one who's in charge. It is capitalistic in nature because there's the parable of the talents are lived out every day. To those who do well, God will entrust more. It can be socialistic as that we're connected together in the body, and it's kind of like a republic that there are things that, that are representational that God will ask each one of us to do. So, can't wait to specifically dive in so that we can understand that we, even though we live amongst a 
beastly kingdoms on planet Earth. We can have patient endurance. We're going to unpackage that for you now. Bless you. Hope in a hostile world, patient endurance. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a really bad dream that becomes everybody else's worst nightmare. Now, we began at John Ball Zoo in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to end with Daniel chapter 7 as well. But in the middle right now, we're going to focus on doing some study through Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, Jan Daniel chapter 7 are a linked pair. It is, uh, there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. And in chapter 2, in chapter 7, and everything in between, it's written in the language of, of Aramaic. And so you go, oh, okay, that's where Aramaic stops and starts. So that's linked as a pair. And it's also linked because of these dream sequences. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's having dreams in chapter 2, and Daniel's having dreams in chapter 7. Well, here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. He has this dream. He says, this is what I firmly decided. He's speaking to the astrologers, the wise men. If you do not tell me my dream and interpret my dream, I'm going to cut you into pieces. I'm going to turn your houses into piles of rubble. That's, that's, that's pretty bad right there. Um, I don't like the houses and piles of rubble. I don't like the cut into pieces part either. But, but woohoo, if you tell me the dream, great gifts and rewards will be yours. All right, great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Here we go. That's what they have before them. And the wise men of Babylon say, Hey, oh, wonderful king, live forever. I hope we live for a while. Let's reframe this. Let's just, let's just reframe this. How about you tell us the dream, and we'll interpret it for you. And he says, No, 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 no. You're going to tell me what I dreamed. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to tell me what I dreamed. Otherwise, I believe you're going to be conspiring against me. Uh, now, some different scholars are wondering, like, that, that, that could be it. He really wanted to know that they could give a, give a great interpretation of the dream that would be proven if they could even just tell him the dream. Or maybe he didn't even remember the dream himself. Maybe not. He just realized, I kind of had this dream, and it's incredibly disturbing to me. But this is Nebuchadnezzar's plan, and it is very beast-like in methodology. So what we learn in studying the dream sequence of patient endurance. There is a sequence of dreams that are going to take place that every one of us are going to have to live into. These are our reality on this side of eternity. And the first is this. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it's your worst nightmare. So I, I did. So, so we're going to say, you're going to give me a, I'm your worst nightmare. You're going to give me your very best, I'm your worst nightmare. You ready? Here you go. Give it to me. I'm your worst nightmare. Fantastic. How many of you know Rambo said that? I had to look it up. I didn't know Rambo said that. That's a Rambo quote. I'm your worst nightmare. There we go. Um, hurt people hurt people. We don't, I, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar is a deeply wounded individual, but... Maybe if, if you've got a physical kind of wound and, uh, and, and say your thumb has an owie and you bump it, woo, you know, that's, ah, it really, if, if your thumb doesn't have an owie, you can bump up against things and it's no big deal. But emotionally, if we have wounds and we bump up against things, we then tend to 
hurt other people. So I don't know if he's like emotionally wounded or what's going on with this. Uh, but also, narcissists are pretty nasty. Pretty sure he checks all the boxes there. Pretty sure he does. I looked up. Now, what is a narcissist? Nebuchadnezzar probably is that. That seems like that fits. Here's what the definition is. Inflated sense of their own importance. Check. Uh, deep need to, ex- uh, to have excessive attention and admiration. Check. Uh, troubled relationships and a lack of empathy for others. We can check that box too. So we know that, that Nebuchadnezzar, as the king of Babylon, is a narcissist. Maybe he's a wounded individual. And so he's coming at those ind- individuals who are serving on his staff in a beast-like fashion in this moment. Life gets complicated. And it seems that there's no way out. You don't have to indicate with a raised hand, but have you ever worked in a toxic environment? Have you ever been part of a family system that is a grind, that is a beast? Have you ever just had to navigate through different marketplace endeavors and they, they were not the place that you were in, but, but you just couldn't get anything done because the odds, everything was just stacked against you. That's what it means for earthly kingdoms to be beastly. So nations can be beastly. Companies can be beastly. Communities can be beastly. Don't be surprised. Word of God says that that is the dynamic of how Earthly kingdoms operate when they operate outside of the context of having a humble heart bent towards God. I'm going to tell you some cat stories. I've got a cat. I said, well, our family has a cat. I don't really think I got a cat. I don't really think I got a cat. But this is the cat that lives in the house that I live in. Um, Copper. Copper's about five. As far as cats go, Copper's a pretty good cat. Um, you know, sleeps a lot, little rub up against you, doesn't, you know, cause any problems in the house or whatnot, just, yeah, you know. But this nine-pound ball of fur is a beast in the backyard in the neighborhood. Moles and mice don't have a chance. Bunnies or birds, forget about it. When I cut the grass, it's the killing fields out there. I tell you what. I go, eh, 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 eh. And uh, our neighbors find little gifts on their front porches. My son has a big boy job, and he works in downtown Indianapolis, but in remote work, his lease went up, and he's moved home, so he's working out of our basement while he's working in downtown Indianapolis. So we kind of fixed up the basement. We cleaned the windows because his desk can rise up, and he looks out the back deck. We cleaned off the back deck trying to make a nice working environment for him. His second day on the job, he's on a conference call with people around the country, and there's his cat. This is his cat. There's his beloved copper out on the back deck and we've cleaned the back deck off and there's flowers and you see oh there's copper then copper turns around and copper's not alone in copper's mouth is a bird (laughs) and the breath of life is still in the bird but not much longer it horrified my 25 year old son was utterly horrified at this sight that that his beloved pet is taking the life out of another living creature. My son's a vegan, by the way, so this really disturbed him quite a lot. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. See, copper's cool with us. We take care of copper. We take care of copper. But copper's an utter beast as the instincts begin to kick in. Do, do, you know, do you know what we're talking about here? There are just certain things on this side of eternity, when they operate instinctually, they will suck the life out of other living things in their territory. Try to take that cat to the vet. See, that cat's gotten cat fights before. It's a little cat. It's only nine pounds. And it tussles with other cats because it's territorial in the neighborhood. And I've had to take it in to get stitches before to try to bring healing into its life. Try to get that thing in the little porta pet carrier. Oh, my stars. I, the, apparently, there's a methodology that my wife told me. You kind of put a little snuggly little blanket. And then you sort of, sort of just, without it seeing you, you, you kind of pick it up and you let gravity do the work and boom, into the pet carrier it goes. And, and when the vet, after the vet tends to it, there's no getting that cat back in there when the cat is alert and awake. And I'll just say, hey, you know, I kind of have a hard time getting the cat in. I can only get it in when it's sleeping. So since you're the professional, how about you give it a go? And they go, oh, sir, it's just so easy to get the cat in the, well, here, we'll just, and the cat's all over the place. They go, we'll just take it to the back. I don't know what they do in the back, I don't know what they do in the back, but give it 10 minutes in the back. And uh, the cat's in the porta pet carrier, and I get to go home again. But I cannot, for the life of me, get Copper into the porta pet carrier. If Copper is alert, she gets beast-like. Um, then Daniel. He, here's what Daniel does. So Daniel gets word he's one of the wise men. If you don't tell the king the dream... He's often all of you. And Daniel says, can you give it a day? Give me a day and God will tell me what the dream is. We'll give you a day. And then Daniel returns to his house and explains the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We get to hear their Hebrew names here. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Don't let that be lost upon us. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So the dream sequence of patient endurance takes on another very important characteristic right now. Right now, it takes on the characteristic of, I'm living the dream. Can, can, can you give me, an, uh, just with great zest, can you give me, I'm living the dream. Here we go. I'm living the dream. I like how you did that. There are times that we will say that sarcastically. How many, just for what it's worth, whether you're in the room or outside the room, go ahead and lift a hand. If you ever say that sarcastically, go ahead and raise a hand. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's okay that you do. But it's not, in, in this moment here, it's not equated. Why do we say it sarcastically? We say it sarcastically because we've equated this with living the dream of deep prosperity, uh, of having uh, things are really going my way. That, that kind of, we go, oh, I'm just living the dream. There we go. Uh, and uh, we tend to use it more sarcastically than we do in a Thanksgiving praiseworthy kind of fashion. Well, one of our, one of our staff stories on the live stream team that has been shared a few times that we say, tell us that one again, happened with our creative arts director, Lori Bond. And she told us in a staff meeting a few years ago where she 
non-sarcastically noted to her family, I am living the dream. And, and her eldest child, who was a teenager at the time, said, what? You mean your life, this, this is the dream for you? Really? Uh, like, where's, where's the money? Where's the vacations? Where's, where's the, you know, the, the excess of wealth? Is this, is this really? And so what, what she was referring to was, I, I, I love writing music. I love the opportunity to lead worship. I, I love the opportunity to, to teach others how to do so. I love the, the counseling that I do or the caregiving that I do. I love the community that I'm part of. I am, what, th- this is what living the dream is. I've got great purpose and passion for kingdom of God. Dynamics that have been brought into my life. That's what's taking place now in Daniel's midst. God revealed this mystery to Daniel after he prayed, oh God, help me. And then Daniel praises the God of heaven and says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He goes on to say he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. Don't you wish you could do that? Don't, I mean, don't you wish you could have deep mysteries revealed to you? Knowledge and depth of understanding. Have you bit yet? Well, you can because that's what your God does. When you don't know what to do and you ask God and you ask others to help you ask God, don't you dare be surprised when you seek God's face in such a manner you say, God, I am but a small child and I do not know how to make decisions in this arena but you do. So let me know what to do. And God will, well, God reveals deep and hidden things. Would, would you say that with me? Would you say Daniel 2.22? Let's say that together. Here we go. God reveals deep and hidden things. Let's go to the next verse, verse 23. And, and uh, I want you to say this out loud as well, and that, that you would claim this as your own. Here we go. I thank you and praise you, God. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. That's yours. You have wisdom to ask God for those who are in authority in beast-like kingdoms around us to say, hey, could you exercise a little patience here? Hey, might, might I have a little favor here? You... That's what's going on. You have wisdom to ask others to pray. Don't let that, please don't let that be lost on us. Can we, can we prayer walk this out? <laughs> can, we, can, we, can, we walk, can we walk circles around this house? Can we walk circles around this, this school? Can we walk up and down this community? Can we go to the iconic locations? Can we give it to God? Can we pray and ask God? And then we're going to honor God. And we can even thank God in advance for what God's going to do in our midst. One of the go-to movies, stories in our home is National Treasure, where the Declaration of Independence kind of gets stolen and, you know, deciphered and this great treasure is found. Uh, the sidekick to Nicolas Cage 
has this epiphany where he knows something where Nick Cage is this real great historian. And in this moment, he goes, wait, do I actually know something that you don't know? And he tells him something about a fact of daylight savings time that helps him unpackage the next. He goes, oh, this is amazing. This is what you must feel like all the time. I know something you don't know. This gets to be you. This is what Daniel was like here. All right, everybody, here's the great reveal. You get to, see, it, it doesn't matter where we score on IQ tests. You can have deep wisdom that God will unveil to you hidden and deep truths and mysterious things that you need to know in the life situations that you go into. You get to live the dream. And you get to be, whether it's Monk or Sherlock Holmes or the mentalist or whoever your go-to one is, there are going to be moments and times that you get to be the one that God is going to reveal great things to you. And so Daniel says, O king, mighty king, while you were sleeping, this is what God revealed to you. And he told them this entire dream. And so the dream was of a statue, this really big statue. And it was gold on top, and that represented the kingdom of Babylon. Now, it doesn't say what the other kingdoms are in the in the description of the dream, but the next kingdom to come after you is going to be silver, and the next one after you is going to be represented by bronze, and the next one after you is going to be represented by iron, and the feet are going to have this mixture of iron and clay about them. Um, now, here's, here's what can go down as we look at those, because we can kind of tell, oh, okay, we can look at the key kingdoms that happen in, in a historical fashion. We get, oh, you get the Medes, you get the Persians, you get the Greeks, you get the Romans, but then all of a sudden, there's one too many kingdoms. Do we count the Medes and the Persians? They're sort of the one, or which ones? Which? So, here's the deal understanding this vision has nothing to do with the specifics of what kingdom is what. And there's a measure of mystery that is deeply intentional because it is not for us to say, well, this is that kingdom, and this is that kingdom, you know the kingdom. It's like, it's not that kind of test. It's contrasting the image of the statue which represents the earthly kingdoms. Now, it's a statue here, and later on you're going to see earthly kingdoms equated to the beast-like fashion that we've been talking about from Daniel chapter 7. But there's this rock that comes that really disturbed Nebuchadnezzar, and this rock comes down towards the feet of that statue, crushes it, the whole statue falls. And then the only things we know that are described in the vision of the dream, the, the top head is the kingdom of Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar represents, and the rock that crushes all these amazing earthly kingdoms is the kingdom of God. That's all we need to know. And then what do we understand from that? We wind up understanding that God's kingdom obliterates any other kingdom. We understand that the kingdoms of this world are transient, and there's only one eternal kingdom. That's what we need to, that's what we need to know. And yeah, those other ones probably represent Greece and Rome and however that goes. God is sovereign. God is in control despite what the present circumstances may look like. So now the king says to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. Good job, Nebuchadnezzar, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. That's kind of living the dream right there, isn't it? We're going to get to the third dynamic of the dream sequence, how we need to have hope in a hostile world. And the third one is this that begins to be unpackaged for us. And this is when we would say, I have a dream. This is when you say, I'm beginning to see something that isn't actually here right now, 
but I have a dream that it will be someday. It's quoting the great Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. Can you give me an I have a dream? Here we go. I have a dream. Oh, I hope you do. Oh, I hope you do, and I trust that you do. It goes on. It says he, Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Okay, just where have you ever heard about wise men before? Where have you heard about magi before? And moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. I have a dream. Kingdom work is living the dream. You were intended to live into godly dreams. When we began this story in Daniel chapter 2, did you ever think King Nebuchadnezzar's heart would turn around and honor God? The wounded narcissist that he is? Do you have any really troubled people in your life and you begin to wonder, will they ever bend the knee and say, God is God and I am not? So this is just the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 where he honors God in this moment. And in chapter 3, we're going to go to the, to the fiery furnace and we're going to find that, oh, after God is with them in the fiery furnace, he winds up giving this great statement of, wow, your God's really something. Your God's better than any other God I have ever even heard about. We should let everybody know about this. And then in Daniel chapter 4, this is amazing, and, and we're going to continue to press into the fully human and the beast-like kind of qualities that come up in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, in his narcissistic pride, looks over everything that he's created and says, I am all that. And he loses his human mind, and he has the mind of a beast. And he's really not king anymore. And he lives in wild fashions until he says, oh my goodness, God is God and I am not. And his human mind, his, his, the, the image of God that was given to him as a human being is restored, and he's restored to being king. And let me just plant this seed. There could be well, and I believe so, if God is speaking to you, today is the day that I stop playing games. And I say, God, you are God, and I am not God. Forgive me, I want to follow you. you. You breathe that in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. Do it right now. We'll do it together as we wrap things up. Don't you miss the opportunity to tell God that he is God and you want to be forgiven and you want to follow, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do that work on the cross and to take life up again. Say yes, become a child of God and follow as he leads. Um, and that, if, if you have that dream for other people to participate in that fashion, Nebuchadnezzar has this amazing shift where he becomes a person who is a God follower at the end of chapter 4. Not only that, who shows up when God wraps himself in human flesh and comes to planet Earth, but individuals known as wise men or magi? Now, I know, I know we're taking a few little inferential connect-the-dot kind of points, but the only other time in Scripture that we definitively hear wise men, magi, is in the book of Daniel. It's, it's these cats right here whose lives were threatened in the worst kind of way. Daniel interprets the dream. Daniel's put in charge of the wise men. He's in charge of them for decades, friends. 
And it would be about 550 years later that wise men from the east would show up and they would say, where is this one to be born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. We have come to honor him. I want to tell you that the dreams that God is placing on your heart will have incredible, make an incredible difference in the lives of people right now that you're living with and will have a generational impact for years and centuries to come. The kingdom of God dreams last. In fact, as we move back to Daniel chapter 7, we understand that God has an answer for evil. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And this is reference point to God the Heavenly Father in the creative work. I, I, I can't help, I'm a, I'm a Chronicles of Narnia aficionado fan in Aslan, the lion who is the crea doing the creative work in, in Narnia, uh, and the magician's nephew is singing into existence all kinds of living creatures. For what it's worth, C.S. Lewis, who wrote it, understands the book of Daniel, and he's creating beasts that talk, that have human qualities. And he contrasts beasts that talk and have human qualities from beastly beasts. And, and in this, there's this white witch that shows up at the very dawn of creation, and she partakes of, of an apple by in this, in this garden, and this, this apple is intended to give life, but she was not invited to come, and she just took it and stole it. And it is amazing that, that in that world years later, it would say she doesn't understand the deep magic. Or she understands, but, but there's magic that began before the very beginning of time. I want to tell you, friends, that your God as creator, as savior, as spirit, there are deep things that there are mysteries that will never be revealed to us, but God will reveal to you amazing mysteries. And this is true. God wins. Evil is defeated. The ancient of days is the Lord God Almighty. And it, the more and more that we are intertwined with that reality, the more and more that we will understand what it means to live the dream and to have a dream, even while we're in the midst of a nightmarish situation because those three kinds of dreams on this side of eternity are constantly intermingled. Check out the holiness imagery here. His clothing is as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire flowing comes from before him. Thousands upon thousands attend him. Ten thousands upon ten thousand stood before him. I'm going to invite for you to stand, and I'm going to give you a little challenge. I'm going to read a little scripture, and we're going to do a little response, and we're going to do a little prayer together. But here is the dream sequence again. Can we just review these again? Can you give me right now, I'm your worst nightmare. Here we go. I'm your worst nightmare. Okay, next, I'm living the dream. I'm living the dream. And now I have a dream. I have a dream. Daniel 7, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language will worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Lord God Almighty, in this moment, we declare that we are not God, but you are. For those today that are saying, forgive me, I want to follow you, we thank you for that. We thank you for that so very much. Continue to speak into their lives and work in their midst in utterly glorious ways. Friends, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in your very midst, is in the midst of who you are, and you are intended amongst nightmare situations to live the kingdom dream and to have a kingdom dream. And so I'm going to ask if you repeat after me in a resounding voice the words where Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but we're going to only pick out a particular phrase. Repeat these words. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, may your kingdom come, may your kingdom come, and may your will be done, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven.